Welcome back to the Chronic Fatigue and Burnout podcast. I am your host, Anna Marsh, and today I'm going to be talking about all things sleep, specifically what you want to be thinking of and how you can support your body to get a good and restful night's sleep. We all know that we feel so much better and life feels so much more manageable when we have had a really good sleep. And unfortunately, many of us, whether we have a chronic health condition or not, can still really struggle with sleep. So the purpose of this podcast today, or this episode today, shall I say, is to give you an overview of how the body's sleep rhythms work, and then talk a little bit about things that you could be thinking of as you work to support your body to optimize those rhythms. I'll also be throwing in a little bit of Chinese medicine philosophy because I think it's a little bit interesting. And we'll be talking about sleep practices, some supplements that could be supportive, the use of light exposure, whether you should be napping in the afternoon or not, and also um, a little bit of the immune system and how that can impact sleep. So where I would like to begin is helping you first and foremost to understand the importance of healthy biorhythms. For your cells to function properly, they need the right materials in the right place at the right time. And obviously, healthy functioning cells are likely to be much better at producing energy in the form of ATP compared to unhealthy cells. So there are thousands of genes which have to be switched on and off in a specific order and proteins, enzymes, fats, carbohydrates, hormones and other compounds have to be absorbed, broken down, metabolized and produced in a specific rhythm. Energy has to be obtained and then distributed appropriately to allow for growth and reproduction and metabolism, locomotion and cellular repair. And when this network of systems is disrupted, your biology becomes compromised. And this is what is experienced as poor health. So disruption to the workings of our inner biology, our inner biochemistry is created when there is a disruption of our circadian rhythms through our light and dark exposure and our sleep and wake cycles. It is the disruption of our natural circadian rhythm that can impact sleep, but it can also have a knock-on effect to impacting blood sugar regulation, the immune system, and therefore inflammatory responses, as well as neurology, the health of our brain, and how fast we age. There are two main hormones that are governing these internal biorhythms. The first one is cortisol, which is a stress hormone. You may already be familiar with cortisol. And the second is melatonin. A healthy person will naturally experience what is known as a cortisol awakening response, or also abbreviated as a CAR, C-A-R. And this is really saying that this cortisol awakening response is a surge or shall we say a peak in cortisol, which should occur 30 to 60 minutes after waking. 
So if you're doing testing, for example, you can do a cortisol saliva test and you can measure your cortisol first thing as soon as you wake up and open your eyes 30 minutes later and 60 minutes later. And then you can get an understanding of whether or not you produce this CAR, this cortisol awakening response. This is actually included in some adrenal saliva stress testing. It's also included in the Dutch comprehensive hormone testing with CAR, obviously the cortisol awakening response. So if this is something that you want to test, that's how you can test it. Cortisol is an energy mobilizing hormone. So it's your get up and go to start the day. It can mobilize stored energy in your muscles and in your liver. And in doing so, it will give you the energy to get up and get going. And if you're a morning person like myself, you probably feel your best in the morning and you have this strong get up and go and motivation and energy to start the day. So cortisol should peak 30 to 60 minutes after waking, and then it should reach its lowest point at about 2 a.m. Then on the other side of the spectrum, we have melatonin, which is the body's sleep hormone. And melatonin rises in the response to the onset of darkness and adequate production supports good sleep. And if you live in the UK, like myself, you'll know come December when it starts getting dark at four o'clock in the afternoon, there is this tendency maybe to feel more sleepy and want to go to bed a bit earlier. And that's likely because of the influence of the light on our melatonin levels. And so it's noteworthy that there is a relationship between cortisol, melatonin, and the immune system. Cortisol is anti-inflammatory. So if you've ever had a cortisone injection or you know someone who's had a cortisone injection, you would usually have that when there's a joint which may be inflamed and sometimes someone will have a cortisone injection to reduce inflammation in the joint because cortisone is the inactive metabolite of cortisol and we can convert cortisone into cortisol and then it can have anti-inflammatory activity. On the flip side, Melatonin can be pro-inflammatory or anti-inflammatory depending on the context. So at night time, generally speaking, the immune system is more active. And if you've ever had an, a virus or a cold or a flu, you probably know that you feel the worst. You might feel okay during the day and then you start to feel a bit more rough at night time or, you know, towards the evening. Um, and then maybe when cortisol kicks in in the morning again, you feel a little bit brighter, a little bit better. Um, and then, you know, as the day draws to a close, you may feel a little bit worse again. And that's definitely been my experience as I've moved through my own chronic fatigue journey is sometimes I would wake in like the early hours of the morning and my body would just feel so sore and achy. You know, that feeling you might have if you have the flu. And I would just think, oh my gosh, do I have the flu? Is something wrong with me? Um, or I would just think, oh, you know, today's going to be a really bad day. I can already feel this inflammation in my body. But then actually come morning, I would, you know, get up and start my day and maybe 
you know, move around a bit or go down to the beach and get some cold water exposure, all things that would naturally increase my cortisol levels, the light exposure being outside, the movement, the cold water. And then I would think, oh, I don't feel that bad. Actually, today's not going to be as bad as what I thought it was. And that was just a very clear example of this role of cortisol as an anti-inflammatory hormone and how it was, um, you know, fluctuating depending on the time of the day and how that was also impacting how I was feeling due to how it was impacting my immune system. I know we're talking about sleep today, but it's also really interesting to understand the importance of these biorhythms in the context of sleep. So a healthy biorhythm should have this peak in cortisol 30 to 60 minutes after waking and then cortisol should drop off in the evening and then we should produce melatonin and then that melatonin response should help us then fall asleep. And that's in a perfect scenario. But what can often go wrong is that many of us, not necessarily all of us, but many of us aren't getting or don't have lifestyle habits which support that morning peak in cortisol. And we may also be exposing ourselves to blue light or lights in the evening, which are going to influence melatonin production. And we're probably also doing things that are keeping our cortisol levels elevated into the evening. So it may or may not seem obvious, but in order for us to get a good night's sleep, we really want to be supporting the cortisol peak in the morning, and we want to support the natural rise in melatonin in the evening. So that is kind of where I'm going to start when I talk about optimizing sleep or creating a good night's sleep. Often people aren't thinking about what they're doing in the morning and how that's influencing how they're sleeping in the evening. But you want to start in the morning when it comes to optimizing your sleep routine. And here we want to be thinking about doing things which encourage that cortisol peak. And the first thing you want to consider is your morning light exposure. And this isn't the lights in your home, it isn't the lights from your computer screen, it isn't light streaming through a bedroom window or in the car if you're driving somewhere. This is daylight from outside, so essentially you getting your body or your head or your face outside within 60 minutes of waking. I mean, ideally, as soon as you wake up, but some people take a little bit of time to get going. So within 30 to 60 minutes of waking. And you don't need a lot, but you do need some. So if you wake up and it is a beautiful, bright, clear morning, then you only need about five minutes of light exposure. If it's kind of cloud cover, light cloud cover, a bit cloudy, then maybe you need about 10 minutes. And if you have like very dense cloud cover, even if it's raining, you still want to get outside. But unfortunately, for a little bit longer in the rain, 20 to 30 minutes. So if you have a balcony, if you have a garden, if you have some green space um, near your home, if you can just get outside and get that morning light exposure, obviously if you can get more, if you can spend more time 
outside during the day, just naturally experiencing daylight, that will also be great. But the minimum would be five minutes on a clear, bright, sunny morning, and then 20 to 30 minutes on a cloudy, rainy day. So that's the very first thing. And the reason being is the light and the quality of the light falling on your eyes is going to be stimulating for that cortisol peak. If you wake up in the darkness, you can turn on lights in your home. You can use other artificial bright lights. So for example, you can buy a 10,000 lux light box and, you know, on Amazon or something like that. But then as soon as the sun does come up and you are able to get outside, you also want to use that opportunity. If you miss a day, so for whatever reason you were sick or busy or just for some reason you couldn't get outside, just do a little bit extra the next day. So that's the first thing is you want to get morning light exposure. And so here I have a lot of clients who struggle to get going in the morning. They're really dragging their feet, um, especially if, you know, there is pain and fatigue. Obviously, it is harder. You are the people who, although it's harder, really need to do this because this is helping to turn on those anti-inflammatory signals, which are going to help you feel better. So that's the first thing. Then there's other things we can also do to stimulate cortisol first thing in the morning. So the second thing you could think about is movement. Again, always tricky with fatigue because different people have limited capacity. But even if you're able to do a short walk within your capacity, if you're able to do more than a short walk, a longer walk or a run or some sort of other exercise outside, even better. So if there is a way for you to do some movement first thing in the morning, that's also going to help to raise the morning cortisol. You could also think about cold exposure. Now, this doesn't have to be outside, but you could do something like a cold shower, just two or three minutes under the cold tap. If you are blessed like me to live near the ocean and you can walk down to the ocean in the sunlight and get your cold water exposure all in one go, um, that's obviously ideal. And I'm very, very fortunate that that is my morning routine. But um, I know that that's not always available to everyone. So just do what you can. And then the final thing you could consider would also be something like having a, a caffeinated beverage. Again, coffee, different levels of sensitivity for different people. I know in some of my worst parts in my chronic fatigue journey, I couldn't tolerate coffee. It made me too jittery. Too, it just activated my nervous system far too much. So it wasn't an option for me. But as I said, I had morning light exposure, walking and the sea to jump in, even in winter. So I felt like I didn't really need the caffeine. Um, but a little bit of caffeine in the morning, I would say it probably wouldn't be my first choice. I would probably try and do the exercise and the, the cold exposure before I start drinking coffee. But um, it is an extra little tool in your toolbox that you can use. All of these things in the morning can set you up for the day, support that cortisol release, which remember is anti-inflammatory. It's helping to modulate your immune system. It's helping to switch things on and off and really organize your chemistry and your physiology for the day. Even though we're talking about sleep, we start a good night's sleep in the morning with what we do after we wake up. 
So then as the day continues, what else do we want to be thinking about? Again, it's, you know, you probably want to know how to have a good night's sleep. And I'm talking about what to do across the whole day. And the next thing I would start to be thinking about is your blood sugar. Blood sugar highs and lows throughout the day create a pattern of dysregulation. And this is stressful for the body, can strain the nervous system, but also what we're eating earlier in the day can also then have a knock-on effect in terms of how we respond to meals later in the day. And very often people don't sleep well at night because their blood sugar is dropping low and that is creating a stress on the body, a stress on the nervous system and cortisol and adrenaline kick in to support the drop in blood sugar, to increase it, to mobilize sugar from the liver, for example, to restabilize blood sugar, but that then wakes you up. So we want to be thinking during the day about good blood sugar control, which means nice, stable blood sugar, no major peaks and troughs for the entire day. And there is a blood sugar episode. You can look back and um, check that out. I also have my blood sugar mini course on my website. It's only 49 pounds, but it will really teach you a lot of the things, pretty much everything you need to know if blood sugar stability is one of your goals. Something I often get my clients to do is to use a continuous glucose monitor, a CGM. Here in the UK, the brand is Freestyle Libra. And that lasts for two weeks. It's just a little patch that you put on your arm and it connects to an app on your phone and it will record your blood sugar for two weeks continuously. And obviously then you can see how your blood sugar is rising and falling throughout the day and if it's doing so within a narrow range. But you can also see what's happening to your blood sugar at night. And if you know you're always waking up at 3 a.m. or you're always waking up at 2 a.m. or you wake up repeatedly during the night, you can then correlate that with any blood sugar peaks and troughs. And then it's a case of doing a little bit of trial and error and working out Do you just generally need to work on stabilizing your blood sugar throughout the day or play around with what are you putting in your evening meal? Do you need more carbs or less carbs or more proteins or more fats or more fiber? Or do you need a pre-bedtime snack or do you need to eat earlier or later? There's obviously lots of variables, but you can play around with that when you have the data and then see what your body likes and see how you respond to those changes and hopefully how your sleep responds as well. So then the next thing is as you go about your day, you want to ask yourself, do you need to nap? I believe that there's no right or wrong here. It's not that you should nap or you shouldn't nap. Personally, I'm a napper. And in my own fatigue recovery journey, I would find even just a 10 or 20 minute little power nap in the afternoon could really recharge my brain energy um, and could contribute to feeling like having that sort of second wind to keep going for the end of the day. Obviously, we want to be careful of um, naps which are too long, too late in the day, and then reducing sleep pressure for the evening. So if you know your body, if you nap in the day, it really disrupts your sleep, then you have to decide not to nap. But if you know you can have a short little nap during the day, 
and it doesn't seem to impact your sleep either way, then, and that's working for you just generally with your routine and how you're feeling day to day, then, you know, a nap could be a good thing. I've also found personally that when I've been very tired, so maybe I've just had disturbed sleep or a few nights of not getting enough sleep, sometimes a nap helps to reset my nervous system. So because I've napped and I'm feeling a little bit more restored, I'm less activated in my nervous system and then it's easier for me to then sleep at night. And I know it sounds a little bit counterintuitive, but this was something that I realized um, when I used to travel a lot, especially to the US, where I would typically you know, be quite jet lagged, that if I had a short nap on the plane, then when I finally got into my hotel, I would find it easier to sleep because I was less wired because my body was a little bit more rested. Anyway, that's a little bit of a tangent, but um, I just thought I'd share that in case it resonates with anyone. So we've talked about the morning light exposure. We've talked about the different strategies you can use to increase morning cortisol. We've talked about the importance of keeping blood sugar stable throughout the day and at night. And so now we're starting to approach the evening. And this is where usually most people start when they start to think about better sleep. They think about sleep routine. Sleep routine is important and um, we do want to make sure that we're limiting bright light exposure, you know, several hours before we want to fall asleep. And ideally, I think it's quite nice. Obviously, it depends on where you live in the world and, you know, what time of day it gets dark. But it's quite nice to align this with the natural light and dark cycles of the world that you live in. So, you know, avoiding once the sun goes down, we don't want bright overhead lights and you know if it's necessary because you have work to do maybe you're working on a computer you can use blue light blocking glasses but ideally just kind of having low level light and candles if it's safe to do so and avoiding you know too much screen time before bed I personally watch tv in the evening before bed I probably have the least disciplined sleep routine um but i found that because i think i have such a strong morning routine that i don't struggle too much with falling asleep sometimes i can but um i can watch you know an hour of tv and then get into bed and i'll just usually listen to a podcast and then fall asleep listening to a podcast and that's my sleep routine but I also spend quite a few hours in the evening unwinding. So I like to finish work at like four or five o'clock if I can. And then I'm an early sleeper. I'll go to bed eight, thirty, nine o'clock. So that gives me a good four hours, shall we say, where I am just unwinding my body. I'm having some food. I'm relaxing. I'm not really doing anything too stressful. I don't have kids that I need to put to sleep, but I'm not running around the house doing a million chores in the evening. So that, that there is a natural unwind that's happening. But if you are someone who is you know, finishing work late, putting the kids to bed, wrapping up and doing chores and all of that, your nervous system really does need a little bit more time to switch itself off. And I would say if you can give yourself an hour, if not two hours of really starting to wind your body down. And that really is, if you listen to the nervous system, um, 
podcasts that I've already done. It's really just feeling in your body that your body is unwinding and whatever you need to do to achieve that. It might be a bath or a shower. It might be reading a book. It might be listening to a podcast or doing some sort of yoga nidra or sleep meditation. Really, the opportunities are endless. It might just be like curling up with a partner uh, or your pet and um, just watching something on TV with your blue light blocking glasses and just, just allowing your nervous system to feel safe and ready for bed. You don't want to be checking emails or starting to engage with stressful material before bed. You really want to give your, your body the space, which for me, I think is very obvious. And I think it's not that people don't know that they should be doing this before bed. It's the discipline to actually do it. And if your nervous system is has a tendency a little bit more towards hypervigilance, it can be really hard to slow down and switch off. So you may need to learn some techniques and practices and then have the, the discipline to practice them so that you can really achieve that state of unwind in the evening. Then just little things you want to have a cool bedroom. Our body temperature should naturally drop um, at nighttime. So if the bedroom is too hot, if the body is too hot, then that can have an impact on sleep. You want to maybe use some blackout blinds so you have a really nice dark sleep environment. If possible, you know, mobile devices out of the room, turn the Wi-Fi box off and make sure there's no little LED lights or anything still on in the bedroom, no TV in the bedroom, those types of things, maybe a blackout mask if needed um, and just have a, a really nice sleeping environment that allows you to, to feel comfortable and safe. And then if you do struggle getting to sleep, this is where you could use like a sleep story or you could do a yoga nidra or a little sleep meditation. Um, there are loads available. Insight Timer is a really good resource. Um, if you've got something like an aura ring, there's some sleep stories on the aura ring app. So there's a lot of um, different things that you can use. Personally, I just listen to a podcast. I usually just put 30 minute timer on the podcast, start listening and inevitably I've fallen asleep um, before the 30 minutes is up. So the next question, which may be on your mind is supplements. Are there supplements that can help with sleep? And the answer is yes. There are supplements that can help with sleep, but remember that supplements are supplementary to your other lifestyle practices. So when we're thinking about supplements, we want to add supplements in when we can check the following boxes. Have we got a good morning routine that stimulates that cortisol peak 30 to 60 minutes after waking? Is blood sugar balanced and stabilized throughout the day? Are we creating a good unwind routine? Are we looking and paying attention to light exposure in the evening? And are we also taking our time during the day to reduce the windup of stress? I perhaps should have mentioned this earlier. I'll mention it quickly now is I talk about this a lot when I talk about nervous system regulation. It's in the nervous system mini course, but, um, 
Many people are getting to the end of the day and then thinking, oh, I need to unwind and feel less stressed. Where really we want to be checking in on ourselves at regular intervals throughout the day and discharging stress so that we're reducing the buildup. So even if you're you know, just taking a mid-morning break, a lunchtime break, an afternoon break to discharge some of the buildup of stress and nervous system activation from the day, there's going to be less unwinding that needs to happen at the end of the day. So you want to make sure your blood sugar is stable and your nervous system is being regulated throughout the day. You've got that good unwind routine in the evening and then you can maybe think about, all right, Maybe I could add some supplements in here. Different sleep supplements from experience work differently for different people, but I'll share some of the ones I encourage my clients to try. And it's very much a case of try this one. How does it work? A little bit, but not great. Okay, maybe we can add this one in as well. Oh, those two together work really well. Or maybe none of these work. Let's try this one instead. So there can be a little bit of playing around. There can be a little bit of trial and error. But some of my favorites are magnesium. So magnesium glycinate or magnesium threonate can be um, really great to take. You can take it just 30 minutes before bed in a powder form, in a capsule form, usually about 150, 200 milligrams. Obviously, consult with your healthcare practitioner, make sure that it's safe for you to do so. One of my personal favorites that I use is L-theanine with lemon balm. The specific product is um, by the brand Viridian. And I usually take two of those, which works out to about 400 milligrams of L-theanine, um, just as I'm kind of getting ready for bed. So about 30 minutes before I fall asleep. And that works really well for me. Um, I've gone through phases of taking it like on a daily basis, or sometimes I just take it if I'm working late and I need a little bit of help to unwind my nervous system. Or for example, I teach a couple of yoga classes on a Thursday evening and I get home late and then I just really want to kind of help my body drop into relaxation pretty quickly. I'll use the L-theanine and lemon balm. If blood sugar regulate, dysregulation, shall I say, during the night is an issue for you and could be impacting your sleep, something like myoinus Cytol could be really beneficial, maybe 900 milligrams before 30 to 60 minutes before bed. And then you probably may hear a lot about 5-HTP, 5-hydroxytryptophan, to help with sleep. This can be a little bit hit and miss. Um, the reason being is sometimes tryptophan can go down an inflammatory pathway. And so I'll try and explain this very briefly, but um, tryptophan can be used to make serotonin and melatonin, which is why it can be beneficial for sleep. It can also get diverted down another pathway, which can be associated with more sort of pain and inflammation and immune activation. And it's usually if there's a need for B3, if there's a need for vitamin B6, or just inflammation in general, can send tryptophan down the more inflammatory side of the pathway. 
So we do want to be careful if you're supplementing with tryptophan and it's not making you feel any better or it's not making you f- or it's making you feel worse, then um, that could be an issue for you and then it's better rather to stick to some of the other products that I've mentioned. I have also dabbled personally a little bit in melatonin. Um, technically in this country, myself as a nutritional therapist isn't allowed to recommend melatonin. So it's not something I could necessarily recommend on this podcast, but I can share my personal experience in that um, I would say I don't have as much problem falling asleep, but I would have issues of waking in regular intervals during the night, just for a little bit, not often for a long time. And I think melatonin did tend to help the overall sort of quality of my sleep, having more better quality sleep across the night. But it is something you you kind of want to be careful of. And um, eventually I sort of just stopped taking it and switched to the L-theanine and lemon balm. And I've actually not really noticed much of a difference since I've done that. I've, I feel that the L-theanine lemon balm is equally good for me. So then speaking of waking in the night, the thing I wanted to touch on is um, nervous system activation and immune activation. So the nervous system and the immune system are so closely linked that when the immune system is active, the nervous system is also going to be more activated because there's a sense of threat. So we can be doing all the unwinding and all the meditation and all the yoga nidras and all the somatic practices throughout the day to support the nervous system regulation. But if there's a threat inside of our body, like some sort of infection or mold or a dysbiotic gut, um, we need to deal with that. We can't meditate our way to better sleep when those things are going on. And so this is when we really want to think about, could there be a gut issue? Um, If your sleep gets worse around the full moon, when parasites tend to be more active, that could be a clue that maybe there's a parasite which is activating your immune system and that's impacting your sleep. There can be imbalances in the microbiome that can impact sleep. I had a client who was really struggling with her sleep and all she did was take a probiotic and she said she was just sleeping so much better just from taking a probiotic. It's obviously not as easy in all cases. She was um, you know, really fortunate to have that such an easy, quick fix. But it does highlight the role of our gut bacteria and sleep. So if there's any digestive issues, you can listen to the Gut Health Podcast. I've also got my Gut Health mini course you can take. Um, and that could be something that could positively impact your sleep. If there's a mold spore, mycotoxin issue, that can also stimulate histamine production, which can impact sleep. Anything that's sort of increasing histamine production or mast cell activation syndrome, um, which I won't talk in detail about today, all of this can impact sleep. So anything that's impacting the immune system and impacting the inflammatory environment of the body that's going to be something that needs to be addressed. So we can modulate the immune system by working on that morning peak cortisol curve. But if there's a threat, if there's an infection, we need to remove it. We can't, all the other things are supportive, but we need to get to the root of the issue. 
Where I'd like to finish today is to talk about the Chinese medicine clock. So I am I'm not trained as a Chinese medicine practitioner. I've just only touched on Chinese medicine very briefly through my yin yoga training because yin yoga is um, steeped in Chinese medicine. But according to Chinese medicine, there are different times of the day that are associated with different organs and different emotions. And the idea being is that if sleep is a problem for you, say at nine o'clock at night or one o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the morning, you can look and see which organ or which emotion is associated with the time that you're always waking up or struggling to fall asleep. And that could give some clues and insight into what may need help and support as you work towards better sleep. So again, as I said, I'm not a Chinese medicine practitioner. I wouldn't make put all my clinical decision-making on the Chinese medicine clock. But if a client is doing all the other things I've already spoken about in this podcast today, I might just go, hmm, you say it's always 3 a.m.? Well, 3 a.m. can be associated with the lungs um, and grief and sadness. You know, have you lost someone recently? And obviously, chronic illness is riddled with feelings of grief. So there's going to be a lot of grief that comes up for someone who's chronically unwell. Um, and then maybe there's some emotional support that's needed there, or maybe there's some work we need to do around the lungs or breathing. Um, so I'll go through the clock with you more for your interest than anything else, just in case it rings any alarm bells and gives you some insight into how you can support your body. So the hours between 9pm and 11pm are the adrenal glands and the thyroid glands, and this is associated with fear. So again, for me, fear says fight or flight, nervous system activation. We know that if someone's stressed, if they're worried, if they're afraid, that's going to be activating for their adrenal glands. That's going to make it maybe difficult for them to fall asleep. So that one makes a lot of sense logically. The next is 11 p.m. to 1 a.m., which is associated with the gallbladder. Gallbladder is really important for bile production, which we need for fat digestion. A lot of my clients have poor fat digestion. And it's also involved in discernment and decision making. So, you know, maybe if someone was always waking up between 11 p.m. and 1 a.m., I might ask or check how they're fat digestion is working but maybe also ask if there's any big decisions they need to make 1 a.m and 3 a.m is the liver which is associated with anger and frustration so here we might be thinking detoxification issues or sort of any anger sort of fight response stuck in the body then 3 a.m. to 5 a.m. is the lungs, and the lungs are associated with grief and sadness. The lungs sit just over the heart, and um, again, here we might think about how we support the lungs. Is the person waking up at 3 to 5 coughing, or is there something else going on? Is there a loss? Is there grief? Is there unprocessed sadness, and do we need to work somatically with that? And then finally, 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. is a large intestine. So this is involved with letting go. So maybe there are some digestive issues. If, you know, if the person is waking up at 5 a.m. and that's earlier than they would like, maybe we need to think about the gut or maybe we need to think about you know, something more emotional, something that they're struggling to let go of, something they're holding on to. 
So that is just a nice way to finish up the episode today is talking about the Chinese medicine clock. Hopefully from listening to all the other guidelines today, you've got some things that you can work on, whether that's your morning routine, your blood sugar in the day or at night time, thinking about your unwind routine and the sleeping environment, maybe playing around with some supplements, starting to think if there's maybe some inflammation or an immune response that needs to be addressed. And then maybe also thinking about the Chinese medicine clock and if any of those hours and the organs and emotions resonate with what you're going through right now. So as always, I hope you have enjoyed the episode. If you have, please leave me a five-star review on iTunes. It will really help other people to find the podcast who will benefit from this information. And um, please share on your social media. You can always tag me, Anna underscore Marsh underscore nutrition. Let me know your bit biggest takeaways from the episode. Let me know if the episodes are helping you. And um, I very much look forward to sharing with you in the next episode.